So around six years ago, I stumbled across a story that was going viral online and in mainstream media, and like nearly every news outlet was covering it. And all the headlines in general kind of read like this. 29-year-old woman schedules herself to die. Now, I just, I just want to make a quick note that given how wide our podcast reaches, I'm, I'm going to be removing her and her family's name as well as kind of any other identifying factors like where they live or where they lived from the story just, just out of respect. And, and after years of suffering from severe headaches, this, this young woman discovered that she had brain cancer. It's a tragic story. And hers was the most aggressive and lethal type of brain cancer because it grows and it spreads very quickly. And studies show that most people don't live beyond three years from diagnosis. And a test revealed that, that she only had six months left to live. Now, faced with very few options in her home state, she and her family, they packed up everything, and they moved to another one that had assisted dying laws on the books. She met the criteria in this new state, and she received a prescription for a medication that would end her life the day that she chooses to ingest it. Now, I'm not attempting to be callous or mean or unfeeling. I'm very familiar with the devastating prognosis of cancer, I've watched my wonderful mother-in-law and my wife face cancer and the treatments, and, and I'm aware of the psychological and emotional trauma that that disease brings, not to mention the physical pain. But this young woman in the interviews does not come across as debilitated. She's not in a hospital bed with tubes removed for the interview that have to be rapidly put back in to keep her alive. She's, she, she looks great. In her interview, she talked about traveling right up until the, the month of her death. And, and she told the interviewer, I've traveled to Alaska, to, to Yellowstone, to Denali National Park, and, and hope to travel to the Grand Canyon, she said. The image of her state of mind and, and health and all of these interviews is someone who is sick, but also very much full of life. Here is her plan. The day after her husband's birthday party, she's going to go up to her room, take her fatal dose of medication, and surrounded by her husband, her mother, her best friend, her father, this 29-year-old millennial will die with her favorite music playing in the background. She says, I cannot tell you the amount of relief it provides me to know that I don't have to die the way my brain tumor is supposed to take me, in pain. Now, assisted suicide is as old as Dr. Jack Kevorkian. So what makes her story so unique? That, that was my question as I begin to peel back the layers of this story, is what makes this story different than all of the others? It's the fact that her death is to prevent debilitating pain, not relieve it. 
She wanted to die before it gets really, really bad, before the cancer takes control of her body while she is pain-free and cognitive. The closing text of her video on her YouTube account states that she's trying to start a movement so that no American has to endure prolonged pain and suffering. Her story is shocking and profoundly upsetting for a number of reasons. First, she's, she's only 29. She's only 29 years old. And the tragedy of her terminal illness grips us, as is her very solution to it. Now I'm bringing it up today not to talk about assisted suicide or its ethics. That's another topic for another day. Rather, I'm captivated by her story because I think it provides a snapshot into our culture's extreme distaste for any sort of pain. My name is Adam Shaw, and this is The Restorationist. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. I want to update you before we jump back into this story on some fresh direction for the podcast as I've been praying as well as talking to listeners and some close friends. And one thing that became really clear to me is that the idea of increasing capacity was resounding with so many of you that are listening. Now, the broader vision of asking what does it mean to be apostolic in the 21st century is not changing. It's not changing at all. That remains the same. I want to ask those big questions still. But what I'm doing is I'm refining the vision. And so while the original idea and vision of the restorationist remains the same, the delivery of the content is going to become more focused on helping you increase capacity in some area of your life. And speaking of increasing capacity, one of the things that we absolutely must do if we're going to follow Jesus well is we have to increase our threshold for pain. And the only way I know how to do that is by learning how to process pain through a Holy Spirit-driven, biblically-informed worldview. I believe we've got to change our worldview. we got to change our understanding of pain because the reason why pain is so traumatic for this particular generation is because of our cultural worldview. Now, we've, we've talked about this before, so this should be a quick review, but if you're just joining the podcast and you're not sure what a worldview is, it's simply the story that defines how you see and interpret the world around you. It's the story you tell yourself about yourself that helps you determine what's right, what's wrong, what's the solution. It helps you determine your purpose in life. Your worldview is essentially like a filter in your head that organizes all of your experiences and categorizes your beliefs and helps you form an interpretation of those experiences and what they could possibly mean for you. Now, our culture story tells us that to be happy is the greatest thing in life. To be happy, especially, I should say, primarily for those that are a part of the postmodern 
21st century Western culture. To be happy is the good, the great good or the great goal of the human existence. And in fact, we define all of our morals, our victories, our failures, and even relationships on the idea and the basis of this idea of happiness. It, it has worked its way in modern culture, even into our ethical system, that pleasure is good and pain is bad, so that things that bring the greatest amount of pleasure are desirable and things that bring pain are undesirable. And so our motivation for doing anything at all is 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 wrapped around this principle that pleasure is good, pain is bad. And, and it has totally reshaped our, our moral system, our idea of right and wrong. Case in point, how many of you have heard parents say this about their kids? And if you're a mom or a dad, maybe you've even said this without thinking through the implications. You know, I just want my kids to grow up and be happy. I don't care what they I don't care what they do. I'm not going to pressure them to be something they don't want to be. I just want them to be happy. How many of you've heard somebody when they they start dating or they get into a relationship, they they're like I love this person cuz they make me happy. I'm relieving this relationship when they get that breakup text or about to send it, which is not a good idea, but another topic for another day. I'm leaving this relationship simply because I'm not happy anymore. I'm happy at this job. I, I think I'll stay with it. The pay is good. Ours are great. Really, I'm very happy. Happiness and the abundance and the preponderance of pleasure really is the driving force, the driving narrative of the 21st century. And one of the reasons why we're captivated by the story that I read to you at the introduction of this podcast is because her story represents the taking of this idea to its ultimate extreme. This is no longer pleasurable. This life is no longer pleasurable. And I am about to face an intense amount of pain. And there is no good there is nothing redemptive or moral or weighty. There is nothing of meaning that could come from this type of pain. So I am going to end life while I still feel some sort of pleasure and good. And culture, it repackages and brands this idea for us constantly. Case in point, the news, right? Whether you get your news on Twitter, whether you get your news on, on a website like HuffPost.com or Fox News or CNN or the CBC for the Canadian listeners, it's all packaged. It's all packaged for us. Stories of the coronavirus outbreaks and people being sequestered in the rooms of their cruise ships. Hospitals being built in 10 days to withstand the influx of patients. Social unrest, racial tension are all interspersed with sports scores, celebrity gossip, the Oscars, and who was wearing what on the red carpet, interspersed with commercials for Snickers, Nair, and how Polyden helps you rediscover the joy of eating an apple. All of these stories, think about all of the stuff, the heavy, weighty moments 
that we are in right now in the 21st century. They are smashed together in sound bites with a whole lot of meaningless stuff. And these stories, these big issues, these weighty issues of a human tragedy are not packaged to produce lament or repentance over the havoc of sin in our culture or even to spur us to change the world. They're not even there for information's sake. It's almost like the whole thing is to keep us entertained so we won't get bored. Change the channel or Google something else. And I know this is going to sound extreme, but I feel like as if people are treating life like a vast shopping mall, like, but what are those anymore? Vast shopping mall where we go from shop to shop and we expend enormous sums of energy trying to meet this need or that appetite, this whim, that fancy, and, and all of human life is just lurching from one pleasurable moment to another. And the motion of human existence is fueled by the illusions that purchasing a particular kind of shoes, getting your sneaker game on point, driving that car, luxury cars amongst millennials, luxury car purchases are skyrocketing, eating this meal, going to that hipster coffee shop, drinking that beverage. It'll somehow center your life and give it coherence that these pleasurable moments all linked together in a chain will somehow give your life its meaning. Our whole culture is driven by craving for more pleasure. But here is the glaring issue with, with this grand narrative, this meta-narrative of, of modern culture. Suffering tips it on its head. Suffering smashes this concept of how we think life should be. Few things are more traumatic than to discover that your life doesn't fit into your idea of how it should be. And pain punches this story of pleasure right in the throat. And as a result, it becomes distasteful and troubling and traumatic not because we're experiencing pain. That is bad enough. But the whole time we are experiencing this pain, we are haunted by a story ingrained in us by our culture that, that sadly has been adopted by modern Christianity. That pain and the experience of displeasure is not how life should be. Look. Guys, this story is poison. It's destroying us as a generation. And further, I believe it's crushing followers of Jesus. It's robbing them of fulfilling their calling and, and their purpose. Because in an atheistic worldview, you know, life stinks. That's part of the natural world. But when Christians buy into this meta narrative of pleasure, all of a sudden, God becomes the object of our scorn and our blame because he is not arranging our life in a series of successful, pleasurable experiences that we expect him to do because that's what the good life is. And so if you want to increase your capacity as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, as someone aspiring into the kingdom, you have to change the story on pain. You have to change the story on pain. Now, let me give you two reasons why this story on pain is capacity draining 
and faith robbing for anyone that wants to follow Jesus and make a difference in the world. Two reasons why this, this, this story is poison. Number one, happiness is undefinable. The first problem with the pleasure narrative of culture is that it is entirely undefinable. What, what is happiness? What is pleasure? It's nothing in and of itself. It cannot be described without describing something else. It's entirely arbitrary and random. It, it is not, it's not an end in and of itself. It's always attached to something else. And as a result, it's got no goal. It's got no end. And since it has no definition apart from what it is attached to, it's something you never find. And in this constant searching leads to an inability to know how to handle the pressures, the discomforts, and the trauma of the human experience. In fact, I would argue that more often than not, it places us on a collision course with the pain that we're trying to avoid. So that's the first problem. We don't know what it is. And we don't know what we're looking for. The second, and this is the most important thing, the second reason why this, this pain, this pleasure pain story of our culture is, is bad for us is because happiness is not God's goal for our lives. I'm not saying that happiness is not a good thing. I mean, I like to have fun. I like to go to cool places. I, I, I like it when life is, is, feels great. I'm not saying that happiness is bad. I'm just saying it's not the good thing. It's a good thing, but it's not the good thing. It's not God's ultimate goal and ultimate will for our lives. And so if we're going to be able to handle the rigors of human life in a way that doesn't rob us of our capacity, if we're going to increase our threshold for pain and be able to handle it in a healthy way, we have got to replace the culture story with the biblical story. Luckily for us, God has given us the only and sole objective goal of for our lives, and it's the, it's the one good for every human being on the planet. It transcends time and culture. It's the sole story, sole objective for all human beings. And Ephesians 4.13, the Apostle Paul tells us what it is. It says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and catch this, this, this is the operative phrase here, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God's plan is not that you would be happy, but that you would become like Jesus. The ultimate story and objective good for your life is not happiness, but Christ-likeness. And so with that replacing the cultural story, I learned from that understanding to embrace my pain in a healthy way and in a biblical way. This means I don't deny its reality. I don't try to run away from it at all costs. I don't try to pretend it's not there. It is there. I acknowledge it. But it doesn't deeply disrupt my sense of reality or how things in my life should be because my reality and my identity is rooted and tied to Jesus. I'm trying to become like Jesus. My life is about being conformed to the image of Jesus and not 
the so-called happy life. My life, its safety, its health, past, present, future, eternity, all of that is wrapped up in Jesus. My story is held by Jesus and what he is attempting to do in the world and what he has already done in the world, not the weird, fickle, random expectations of my pagan culture. My story is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus and my identification to it. And what the world is now experiencing through the work of Jesus in his church. That's my story. My goal is not happiness. My goal is to become like Jesus. And when I understand that my goal is to become like Jesus, I can appropriately deal with two types of pain. I believe that when you have a biblical worldview, you understand that there are two types of pain that human beings can experience. And when I discern what type of pain that I am in, I can handle it appropriately in a way that helps me grow and increases my capacity instead of robs me of purpose and of faith. The first type of pain that is in the world that we can experience is pain that comes as a result of wickedness and sin. See, a worldview built on Jesus coming into the world and me identifying with the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus understands that the theology of sin that we see in the Scripture is not just an idea. It's not just a philosophy. When we say the world is sinful, we're not being judgy. We're we're not. We're, We're describing the world as it really is. We're all born in sin, And thus, we're all absolutely broken. And broken people break other people. Hurting people hurt other people. And the wreck of sin in the world causes cycles of addiction and abuse and neglect to run rampant through the earth. Now, when I talk about sin, I'm not necessarily talking about your personal sin, but I'm talking about when wickedness and sin finds you. As your life, despite your best intentions, collides with sinful people in a sinful world, when that happens, we can become victims of some of the most horrific and awful things that can happen to a human being. Let me make it real for a second. Like, you did nothing wrong. You're minding your own business. Maybe you're even trying to follow Jesus. You were committing no evil, but evil somehow found you. And now you're like, what what did I do to deserve this? Why me? Why was I abused? Why was I raped? Why, Why did my parents get divorced? Why did I have to get cheated on? Why did why did this person, this family member, have to die of this disease? Maybe you fall and pray to a genetic hiccup and out of millions of people in the world you have been born with, and this is not a politically correct word to say, but it's your lived reality. You've been born broken with a defect of some sort. And despite all of the euphemisms our politically correct culture tries to tag you with, at the end of the day, they don't have to navigate the stairs in a wheelchair or wake up with mental illness. For you, there was no human attacker, but... We all carry the curse of sin in our bodies. And today we are physically weak, is sick, and even in pain. 
Pain comes from sin. It's not God's was not God's plan for our life at the beginning. God designed the world to be perfect, but because evil and rebellion has entered into sin, there is evil all around us. We're surrounded continually by evil, natural evil, things like natural disasters and earthquakes and tsunamis. And we're surrounded by personal and moral evil. When people that, out of the bad intentions of their soul, and out of the brokenness and the dysfunction of their own spirits, they hurt and they wound us. And so to those of us that have experienced pain as a result of sin, here's what Jesus says. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. To the wounds that have been caused by sin, the biblical story says the blood of Jesus was shed for you, and that by his stripes we can be healed. And through constant exposure to the supernatural power of God, Jesus can do two things. He can heal your emotional and mental and even physical wounds so that the wounds of your spirit and your soul can become healed scars that testify of his saving grace. Or he can so supernaturally infuse your life with power that despite what is going on around you, you have strength within yourself that does not originate with you that can cause you to rise above whatever life has thrown at you. And you can become a powerful person in Christ for the glory of the name of Jesus. So that's type of pain number one. Pain as a result of sin. And for that, the blood of Jesus was shed. And there is healing and anointing. But there's another type of pain. I said there was two. And to be honest, I feel like most of the people living, listening to this podcast, we understand sin. We get the idea of evil. We may struggle a little bit with it, and we may lament some when we face it. And that's okay. God allows us to do that. He is not made to feel insecure because we question and we wonder where he is when we're hurting. We can go ahead and do that. But, but then we eventually will recalibrate and go, you know what? I'm going to continue to trust God. We get evil. We get sin. and We get human brokenness. But there's a type of pain that, that has the ability to mess us up if we don't approach it right. And it's the pain that does not come from wickedness or sin. It's the pain that does not come from evil in the world. It's, it's pain that comes from God. It's pain that is the result of Christ forming us. It's God allowing chaos to smash into your life. It's allowing relationships to break. It's allowing trouble to come. It's not answering your prayer when you want him to or in a way in which you want him to. 
outside of Jesus and my wonderful and amazing wife, Stephanie, there's no one I love on this earth more than Mr. Judah, Harrison Shaw. Some of you that, that follow me on social media, you've seen pictures of Judah or heard stories about him. He is a funny, incredibly smart, sensitive little guy. And some of you may know this. I'm not sure if I've mentioned it on previous podcasts before. But when Judah was born, he was born with a club foot. You can, you can Google that later because I'm probably going to butcher the explanation. But basically, it's his foot. Uh, his foot was twisted when he was born. And his heel was pulled back to his calf. Uh, foot was twisted inwards and, and upside down. And so one of the things that they had to do when he was first born was make, it's called a teniotomy where they make two slits in the Achilles tendon to kind of reshape his foot. And he's had physiotherapy and, and all other kinds of stuff. And one of the things we had to do after the surgery and the cast was removed is we had to stretch his foot. We had to bend it up and over and get it just past 90 degrees get stretched the foot 90 degrees, and then we would have to pinch his heel and apply pressure to a bone that was growing kind of askew in his foot and and just and push on it. And every night at bedtime, it was my job to do the foot stretches. And, and Judah hates them, or hated them, I should say. Thankfully, we, we don't have to do them really anymore. He hated them. Because they hurt, they hurt so bad, and he would he would squirm and he would he would wriggle and then he would hit at me with his arms and try to kick me with that other foot, and then would come the part that I hated more than anything else, and those were the tears, where he would look me square in the face, and he would just cry. It was it was. Even just thinking about it now, it, it stunk. I didn't, I didn't like it. But if I, I didn't stretch that little foot, if, if I left it alone, if I never would apply that pressure and that temporary pain, my son would be crippled. His foot would never bend properly. He, he would never run. He, would, he wouldn't walk. His, his foot would be misshapen and twisted. One of the things I often get asked is, why would a good God allow me to feel this way? Why would God allow me to feel so stretched? Why would he let me walk through this period in my life where I'm wondering who I am? Where my, what, what the direction of my life is going to be? My faith is being challenged. There's this great disconnect in my life. God feels absent. How can God be good if, and then the question comes, that is their moment of pressure, why doesn't he just fast track my life? I just want to move on. I just want to fall in love. I just, I don't want to be single anymore. I just want to know who I am. I'm tired of being trapped in this, in this space, kind of like in between where I feel like I'm wandering and I'm not accomplishing the things I want to accomplish, how can God be good? Well, if the good of humanity is to be happy and without pain, 
then no, he's not good. He's evil. He's awful. And he's not to be trusted. But if the end of your life is Christ-likeness, if the closing chapter of your story is that you become like Jesus, that, you know, the day that you die of old age when they put on your tombstone your name and then the phrase became like Jesus, if that's the ultimate goal of your human life, then when pain comes to shape you and stretch you, he is the most gracious and loving Savior, and he's really good. He's truly good and holy. One of the most moving moments in the process with Judah was one night I walked into his room and it was time to do the stretch. And I I felt so sad. I felt awful. I, I didn't want to do it. And when I walked in, he was already laying on the floor. And he lifted up his little foot and he said, Stretch me, Daddy. Stretch me, Daddy. And he, R's and W's kind of all sounded the same at that age. Make Judah's foot all better. That's what he said. Make Judah's foot. He was talking to the third person, too. It was super cute. Make Judah's foot all better. And at that moment, the voice of God, like, smashed into my heart. And God asked me, when's the last time you said that to me? When's the last time you lifted up your voice to the heavens under pressure and said to God, stretch me? I had to go pray after the foot stretch that night. I want to ask you the same question. When's the last time maybe you're in a moment of pressure right now and you are doing your best to wriggle away from the hand of God. But, but what if you just submitted to the pressure and cried what my son cried out to me, stretch me, Father, because you know that through the rending of your heart, through the shaking of your life, that God is ripping things out of you that should not be there, that he's forming you into the person that he has called you to be. And that by adding to your life, by reshaping your life, by reshaping your mind, by allowing things to break, he's taking away the stuff that is keeping you from becoming like him. I love the way that Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9 through 11 sounds in, in the New Living Translation. It says, Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained this way. See, through the process of God bringing pain into your life to change you, what God is actually doing is he's making you holy. And, and this is something that I have had to learn 
the hard way. And this is several years ago, but several years ago, I started to get these really intense panic attacks. Anxiety would just grip my mind. I, and I thought I was losing my mind. I thought I, w- I was going crazy. It, it would hit me. I'd be driving down the road, and, and all of a sudden, panic would come in, and my heart would pound. I'd break out into a sweat. I, I'd be just doing something, random household chore, and and then panic would hit me again, and, and my heart would pound, and I'd hyperventilate, and I'd have to grip stuff to because I felt like I was going to pass out. My heart was going to explode through my chest. I'd cry. Why? I was, I was, my problem was I was wound so tight. I was trying to control all of the variables so I could get a guaranteed outcome. I was relying on my own strength, my own intelligence, the force of my personality and will. And I had all these insecurities deep down inside of my heart that I had layered with like this shell of arrogance and this shell of like, I can do this on my own. And I was not fully living a life surrendered to God, living a life of spirit-infused faith. And I remember I've, I was feeling like I was losing my mind. I'd, I'd gone to the front of the church a thousand times. I'd had a bunch of people pray for me, and nothing and nothing was working. I had, I had called out all the, the demons in the world, all the, all the weird names I thought I could conjure up of what it could be to cast it out of my life, and nothing changed. And so I remember going to God one day. Um, I was at the church by myself, and I was screaming at him, like at the top of my lungs, why is this happening to me? And I remember the shocking answer. God spoke to me so clear, and he said, I am doing this to you. I am causing this to happen to you. You want to talk about a shock. And so I was like, well, why? And God said, so you could learn to trust me and not yourself. That you could learn to rely on me and not yourself. So I was like, okay. Okay. And I got to this moment in my life where it was like maximum surrender. And I was like, God, I, I will, I'll follow you. Wh- whatever you got to do, I'm going to follow you. If I got to live with this anxiety and panic for the rest of my life, I submit and I repent of my resistance to your work in my life. If this is the path, God, that you've chosen for me to keep me in your grace, to be the thorn in my flesh so that when you use me, I am painfully aware that it's you and not me. Okay. When I got to the point where I could embrace the pain that come that came from God, as quickly as those chronic anxiety and panic attacks came, they went away and God... He just, he pulled it out of my life. Now, there are times when I still face anxiety. Now, I haven't had a major panic episode really like that since that moment that God pulled it off my life. But 
There are moments when I still face worry and anxiety. But now when I do, I know it's because God is trying to get my attention. There's something inside of me that he's still trying to grind out of my life. And so I do my best to submit to the process. See, the goal of your life is not to be pain-free, but to be like Jesus. And if you're ever going to increase your capacity as a leader, as a pastor, as someone called to be involved in the kingdom, or Jesus, just even as, as someone who, who's, called, who's called to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to increase your capacity there, you've got to, you've got to get this. And in order for you to get it, it's going to require a deep, revelatory moving of the Spirit in your life. Dealing with this kind of, of pain cannot be done in your own power. So the next few weeks, as you reflect on this episode, I, I want you to reflect and pray and talk with those that you're close to on the pain and the discomfort and the pressure that is in your own life. If your pain is the result of wickedness, let God heal you. But if your pain is the result of Jesus trying to form you, be strengthened by the fact that he's in this. And the pressure is not to destroy you, but to make you holy. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.